welcoming sports fans and fans of the world to another episode of Sports and the World. On this episode, my co-host, Chris Gooden, and I give our MLB all-time players by position and cover episodes five and six of The Last Dance, including Michael Jordan changing the shoe game and the dream team. To stay connected to the podcast, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash sports the world, and our Instagram page at sports the world. That's facebook.com slash sports the world, and Instagram at sports the world. Without further ado, enjoy this episode of Sports and the World. In this episode of Sports and the World, I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. And I hope all of you are being safe and well out there. And how are you doing, my man up north? Hanging. Just another lovely day of it not being above 50 degrees and cold and rainy. And we got teased with one decent day of weather, and then it was back to pitch mode. Yeah, because here in Florida, we had last week was rainy, and then all of a sudden, Florida became the sunshine state for real. So it's lucky you became, yeah. You know, it's to be fair, you know, I wear shorts a lot, and the audience doesn't need to see that. So (laughs) if, if you're wondering why we don't do a lot of video things, you don't need to see me in shorts. You don't need to see it. It's just to just, I don't want you even to picture it. If, if you're picturing it now, that's on you. It's not on me. So, but speaking of things to picturing, uh, you know, the idea of what we're about, you know, to talk about, it came from a buddy, you know, uh, Derek. He, we, we talk about him a lot. At some point, we'll get him on the show. At some point. But to talk about you know, you know, our greatest lineup. And you and I discussed in our meeting how hard this was. Yeah, this is definitely so just in case you guys don't know, um, we uh we were talking amongst a group of people about doing like an all time great list for every position in Major League Baseball. First base all the way around the diamond, out to the field and back. And uh this was this was a struggle. I mean, unfortunately, since we don't have a lot of live sports to talk about, we can just, uh, you know, fumble around on this for a little bit and try to have fun. Um, but this was it was difficult because you have some of the legends that got the sport going. You've got some cultural icons um, that that pushed the sport in a direction and you have some uh influential leaders of society essentially that that were baseball players that changed the lives for thousands of players across the country um you know by by their actions and and their determination uh and then you have the other difficulty of the players that we grew up watching versus the players our parents or grandparents may have grown up watching and uh yeah it, it this this was a challenge we definitely uh we did our homework and um it, it, this will be a fun one to dabble with i think it, it, it is because what made it hard and what made it difficult because the with any sport it's the generational concept because we've seen a lot of baseball in our age we're and so we have our own greatest players 
But however, we look at the course of baseball, we didn't see probably 80% of the players that, you know, people consider great, not because we didn't want to, we just weren't around. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just a matter of timing. And so what made this list even harder was our kind of metrics that we set. Because we each had our own personal metric of positionally and more importantly, career. Like we had certain criteria on that had to be met. And to be honest, I don't know about you, Chris, a lot of players met that criteria on at a lot of positions. So that made it even more difficult. So you had to find like a tiebreaker. If, if, if you could find a tiebreaker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like with mine, of course, naturally the quality of the player in the position, how good, if we're going to talk about first base, how good of an actual first baseman, did they keep their foot on the bag? You know, essentially um, on the other side of the coin, how were they in the batter's box? That's a very crucial element in, in the game of baseball. Uh, unlike other sports, is you're playing offense. I mean, basketball is like that too, where you're playing offense and defense. You don't have you know separate squads doing it for you. Um, so how good are you in the batter's box? You know, so you factor in that. You know, how many Golden Gloves, how many Silver Sluggers, All Stars, MVPs appearances. Uh, you know, one thing I took into consideration in mind. You know, how many World Series do you have? Um, you know, I think I think I might have one or two on here that may not have even ever won a World Series or have won one. And then I have others on here who have multiple World Series titles. Um, and then the final, and and actually I think one of the bigger um, metrics that I weighed on, what impact did they bring to the game of baseball? You know, th- there you know, so you got to remember, so when this sport started, it was, it was a whites only sport. You know, they didn't, they didn't do, they had the, a separate league for, for, you know, black and Hispanic players. And, you know, so there were cultural leaders like Jackie Robinson that broke that mold that came in to uh, major league baseball and just shook it from the ground up. And, you know, so there's factors like that, you know, so, and you have factors of during trying times in the country and down you know, the forties during world war two or, um, in the 60s and 70s when, when, you know, race was still kind of an issue in a lot of places, uh, unfortunately. And uh, or you got the things of, of cultural leaders, you know, for, uh, you know, charity, you know, and, and a lot of the things that players are doing in today's world. Um, you know, so th- there, there was so many things that we had to look at. So we, we started talking about this what last week, I think, is when we started doing this after the last episode. Yeah, last last week we did, and it, it was very interesting when we did talk about it because we, like I say, baseball's a first love. I know you love baseball, and and that's what made it harder because I think I don't know about you, but that's what made it harder because you could easily put a lot of players that played for our teams on this list, but it comes down to the justification. Because you don't want to be seen as like your Homer or your oh well, you missed this person and that person and that person, which which are fair and valid points. Yeah. But yeah, so it it, it made it it made it difficult. Yeah. So that, that with was, that being said, after the, all the arduous labor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just the to touch. Yeah, it's it, this is gonna sound like this list. I might as well just been like, well, the New York Yankees are the best ever, and fuck you if you don't like it. Um. 
at points you're gonna you may feel like that at other points I, there are some validity to you know the, the the points i bring up but i mean i literally so you know usually before uh episodes we do like a pre-episode meeting and i was literally finishing my notes on this you know trying to squeeze this in would work in life and all that naturally you know this isn't a we're not espn broadcasters where we just do this 40 hours a week um <laughs> but this this is interesting let's uh let's dive into it absolutely and and so we'll go by we'll go by position it'll be it's like it'd be easier you know because and, and 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 we also threw in pitcher and and designated hitter as well because to give balance because American National League we gave balance so so you don't have to worry about you know tweeting or you just want that so you want to start at first base and work around the diamond yeah let's 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 work our way around the diamond so I'll let you lead off with your first baseman so um with first baseman like I said there's a lot of things that um that you factor in. So first baseman, of course, is one of the more crucial positions that you'll find, um, you know, on the diamond, because that's, that's the first way to to get an out. If you don't strike him out, get that goddamn ball into, uh, into first base. Um, So naturally there are a lot of legendary players that have, that have inhabited first base. Um, But mine, is naturally and of course i know it's going to sound biased right out of the gate is lou garrick from the new york yankees um you know two-time mvp triple crown winner seven-time all-star um you know he got elected into the hall of fame you know not honestly not soon after he he got out uh and stopped playing baseball six world series you know the hits the home runs the rbis you know, and this is before the technology evolved in baseball, where you're getting more composite materials inside the ball. I don't want to use the term aerodynamic on the bats, but, you know, you take a bat today and compare it to a bat in the 1927 World Series. I, I you know, there's going to be drastic differences in, in, uh, in the gear. And he was able to perform all that. And it's not so much that... Um, you know, how great of a player he was. I also think he was overlooked. And we talked about this in the first episode on The Last Dance about Pippen being in Jordan's shadow to a point. And essentially, uh, you know, Lou Gehrig was, was Babe Ruth's Robin, if, if Babe Ruth was Batman. Uh, he, he was his wingman. He was his goose, his Iceman, whatever you want to call it. And then also being part of Murderer's Row, that middle lineup that would just crush teams. I mean, he's got a great on-base percentage, batting average, hits, RBIs. I mean, he was he was a complete package, and um, you know that 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 made it a really easy choice for me. You know, and then also just like it was an honorable mention for first baseman, you got to throw Albert Pujols in there too for uh, for the the contribution he's brought to baseball and especially in the modern day, you know, the post steroid kind of let's get back in and, and, and do some business type. But yeah, first I think overall Luke Garrick is the first, uh, the best first baseman. You, you know, and you're not going to get much complaining. I, I have Lou Garrick and Albert Pujols was very close on my list because as a Cubs fan, I know firsthand experience of how great he was when he was in St. Louis. You, you you don't have to sell me on how great Albert Pujols. He had a great ten year stretch, 
And what people tend to forget about Albert Pujols, how great of a defensive player he was. Like, he may have faded off, you know, when he went to to the Angels. But when he was at St. Louis. This is bad bitch. He, he just came out and just dominated the league for like 10 years. And, and it made it hard. It made it hard not to put him on there. There was no bias involved. It just made it hard because I, I went with Lou Gehrig. And, and, you know, in that lineup, like you said, when you play with Babe Ruth, ironically enough, Chris, he's, he's third all time in career slugging percentage at yeah. 632. And you would think that, once again, we talked about our I mean, when you're in a lineup with Babe Ruth, you know, it's easy to say that everyone could have slacked, but Lou Gehrig didn't. And, you know, in that 1929 season, Chris, he hit, he was batting 300. His on base was 431, and he was slugging was 584. And this was in 1929. I'm not 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 19 not 2009 1929. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue, you know to argue those types of numbers, you know. In in that perspective, when you look at those numbers, they stand still today. In terms, if you plug him in in today's game. Yeah, you know, obviously maybe the defense would be an issue because the gloves weren't as big as they are now, you know, aerodynamic and whatnot. But offensively, it's like a glove. And and speaking like gloves, sticking in the infield, so we're going to go from first and make our way over to second with your your all-time greatest second base baseman. So, and and this one I think you might agree with me on on as well um second baseman hands down is jackie robinson um not only the just the the prowess he brought to the game you know he's rookie rookie of the year uh and when he came into the league mvp six-time all-star um you know he, when the the dodgers were in brooklyn he got a championship there on base percentage hits RBIs. I mean, everything that that you could ask for in a player, um, you know, he had. But I, I think what it was that kind of really catapulted in his position is just the legacy that he brought uh, on the on the cultural history of baseball and just breaking the barriers and getting in there. And despite just all, just all, literally all the shit that he took. I mean, he just persevered on, and and I think that's a huge trait in in, a, in anybody in any profession or whatever. When you're facing that, and I and I hope no one, especially in, in 2020, um, no one has to face that type of shit. But unfortunately, in some parts of the world, it's still there. Um, but yeah, hands down, just on the field, off the field, he he was the complete package. You know, I, I agree, and what. What made this an easy decision was you don't don't focus so much on the stats because, like you say, his impact when no one in a sport wears the number that you wore. That speaks volume. I mean, the last guy to wear 42 was arguably the greatest closer in in the game, Brian Rivera. Sir. And and so when the whole when a whole league says, hey, we're not no one's ever going to wear your number. It speaks volumes. 
it, it wasn't too much to think about. And I suggested those to go watch the movie. If you haven't seen the movie 42, it's it's very good. I saw a couple of many years ago when it first came out. It's it's well done and it tells the story not just of the baseball Jackie, but of what he had to do with the day to day Jackie. And not everybody could have played in those shoes. Well, there are many people who could have been the first. But it was not just about how you played, it's how you conducted yourself. Because you know what's coming. And like you said, there you know, separate leagues for African American for black players, it was just separate. It was the Negro leagues. Yeah. And it was separate leagues. So he's coming and playing in an all white league. It's not about how you play, Chris. It's how can you handle going to city to city, going to Philly, going, you know, going to other cities and dealing with the constant racism that existed then. And that's one of the things that Branch Rickey, the owner of the Dodgers at the time, was looking for. And he found it in Jackie. So it wasn't really that much to think about when it came to to Jackie at that position and making our way around. You know, in a double play partner at shortstop, who do you have there? Man, you already know where I'm going to go on this one. Hulk Hogan. All right, we got it. All right, we can move. <laughs> Listen here, brother. Uh, so, so this one was a very, very close uh, tie between two players. So, uh, my overall shortstop is is Derek Jeter, of course. I mean, that, that you know, that that one's, you know, you kind of knew where I was going to spin on that one. Um, of course, you know, him being a Yankee, I know it, it sounds biased. Um, but you got to figure out, you know, his on-base percentage, his hits, RBIs, uh, the whole nine yards. Um, then you look at honors, you, rookie of the year in 96, 14 time all-star, all-star MVP, world series MVP, five gold gloves, five silver sluggers. You don't see a lot of players get the golden glove and the silver slugger Simon, you know, simultaneously in some years, let alone even have both of those awards in his cabinet. Um, a second place in this that that really, really, really came close for me was Cal Ripken Jr. Mm-hmm. Very close, but the deciding factor in that, I I think with Derek Jeter is you know Captain Clutch was his nickname in the locker room. Um, it's it speaks volumes when that team was faced with just utter despair he could rally those guys up and do some damage. Um, he, he, see the thing that Jeter had that were of uh, multiple sports organizations have, but fail is he had so many stars, superstars on that team. Look at some of the players that Jeter has played with. Uh, Alex Rodriguez, Jorge Posada, Mariano Rivera, um, Kenny Lofton, Gary Sheffield, um, uh, Mark Teixeira, you know, literally uh, uh, Aaron Boone. I mean, the the damn coach of the Yankees at this point. Um, You know, you have so many of these uh, uh, superstar talents and superstar attitudes, 
but Jeter was like the the mold that held them all together. And if you look at a lot of teams that have that many personalities, a prime example, look at the uh, the the current Cleveland Browns right now. You have all these potential stars. You know, I mean, they're stars, but but just potential legends on that team, and their egos are too big, and no one can click together. Look at as much as I hate them, the Patriots. They had so many stars on there, but Tom Brady and Bill Belichick kept everybody in line. And and that's what really pushed Jeter over Cal Ripken on this one. It's just his ability to work the locker room, the batter's box, and the field all in one in one in, in nine innings. You know, post game and pre. So uh, for me, that kind of that, that you know, you kind of I think you already knew who I was going for on that one anyway. So <laughs> I, I had a feeling. I had a feeling. Um, you know, speaking of your your other guy, I went with Cal Ripken, and this it was hard. It was I had Jeter, even Barry Larkin. People tend to figure out Barry Larkin. It it was very tough at shortstop, but I went with Cal Ripken. Listen, two-time MVP, eight-time Silver Slugger, that's second among shortstops, you know, to Larkin. But Cal Ripken played in 2,632 consecutive games. That that was one, I, I you know, I did have that tucked away, but I was like, you know what, it's just the, the everythingness else on, on Jeter, that's what really, really helped. And, and I agree. And, and listen, it, I feel like there was no wrong answer between one of those two. Because it's a matter of perspective. I respect what Derek Jeter... Derek Jeter was the northern light of that locker room and that organization for 20 years. In the same way I felt Cal Ripken was for the Orioles. The difference was the Orioles were terrible a lot of years. Like, after, you know, like the, especially the 90s. The 90s were not kind to the Baltimore Orioles. But Cal Ripken Jr. was still that northern light. When that team got dark, yeah, he somebody had to lead. You know, sometimes when we think about leadership, you can't draft leadership. That's something that that's not can be found on a scouting report. But you, you saw it. You see potential because Cal Ripken, his dad was the manager. He knows this game. He loves this game. He understands what it takes to play the game, and that's the kind of leader they needed. Derek Jeter was the guy. You couldn't find anybody to say a bad word about Derek Jeter. You couldn't. Except for that one asshole who wouldn't vote him into the Hall of Fame unanimously. Right, except for that guy. But when you play in that many games... I hope he gets stung by a murder hornet. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) But to play in those many games from May of 1982 to September 1998 to have the president of the United States, to have so many people be there in that stadium to break the record. It spoke what the record meant to baseball, but it spoke to the respect and the work ethic of Cal Ripken Jr. Because at the end of the day, he was hurt. It's baseball. But he showed up. It puts a beating on your body, especially shortstop. You're diving and running all over the place. Absolutely. I could argue the infield is a very, very physical position. And to play that position, to to play that 2,632 times in the infield, because remember, the back end of his career, he moved to third, the last four or five years of his career. 
but he started his career as a shortstop just to play that position, leadership, structure. You can't go wrong with, but what kind of put it over the edge for me was the consecutive, and it's not a knock on Derek Jeter. He didn't play all those games. But to me, he, Cal Ripken showed up. Cal Ripken had to, there were days where, listen, they played in a lot of meaningless games. Derek Jeter has played in a lot more meaningful games than Cal Ripken. I think there's no argument there. Yeah, absolutely. But Cal Ripken still, he didn't go to the manager. He didn't go to, he didn't, he wanted to play. He, he was a work ethic guy. And you saw the respect in his last All-Star game where the very last All-Star game he had, the respect, you know, guys like A-Rod and, and Jeter had, letting him play his old position, yeah. letting him play, having let him play shortstop. That's how much respect Cal Ripken has for a lot of players and that the players had for him. So that's that's my shortstop. So now to make our way around to the other side of the to the hot corner, third base, who do you have? So for me, third base, and this is another one. So naturally you have who you think I'm gonna choose because they wore pinstripes. However, fun fact, I can't stand the son of a bitch. I've actually met him in person and he's really fucking rude. Um so my choice for the best all time third baseman, Chipper Jones. Ooh, okay. Curveball, I know, right? So when you have uh, Chipper Jones playing for the Braves, he brought a lot to the field. He brought a lot to the locker room. Um, he brought just a little bit of everything into uh, into the game. Class athlete. He. He was like a Derek Jeter. You couldn't find a lot of people to say bad about him. Um, he was also like Cal Ripken. He showed up and he played. You know, he 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 busted ass. Um, there's no question about that. Eight-time All-Star, MVP, uh, two Silver Slugger awards. He did get his one World Series championship victory in Atlanta. Great on-base percentage. Uh, hits. Home runs, RBIs. I mean, he he was an all around guy. Um, you know, it, it's just you know, and especially in the era that he was playing in, um, you know, there were a lot of a lot of juicing going on. I I I, I think we can look back and see it more as an adult now than than as we could as children watching the game. But he just he was a straight shooter player and and you know he also was a very clutch player and when you needed him he he was there you know um I that's one thing that I don't think anybody can take away from him is just like Jeter if you needed him to perform you needed him to make that diving catch and then the, to gunsling at the first base before the get there he'll do it for you so for me that's that's how I ended up choosing. Uh, uh, my third baseman. And you know, you can't go wrong. And plus, him being a switch hitter, I think I yeah. I, have, I have a certain thing for switch hitters. It's not a weird fetish thing, but it's just that uh, matchup wise, it can be a terror. And I think that's an, also an element that Chipper Jones brought, and well deserved Hall of Famer. You know, playing for the Braves. 
this one here at third base was it came down to three. It came down to I'll mention the two that didn't make it and then the one that did to the build suspense. I really thought about Mike Schmidt because Mike Schmidt, you could argue, was probably the most the best hitter, best hitting third baseman ever. But and then I also kind of looked around and I said, hmm, I kind of I threw around Chipper, but I kind of also for a while, Adrian Beltre. Very underrated, very good third baseman. When you, if you go back and look at his numbers, especially with you know Seattle, if you can look at those numbers, and even when it's from Seattle and Texas, you'll be surprised at how good defensively he was. Yeah, beyond his bat. But the person I I ended up going with, I stayed with the Orioles and went with Brooks Robinson. Mm. Yeah, I know we're all throwing we're all throwing curveball today, folks. We're all throwing those Barry Zito curveballs today. And what led me to Brooks Robinson was, listen, he's third in defensive war. I believe third baseman, I believe playing first and third are the, because from experience, I've played first base, you know, and in, in, when I was in a league, in a baseball league. That's a very hard position because that ball's coming to the corner a lot, depending it's on. It's ripping. It's repping, so you can't be, you know, look down. You got to be focused. So I respect, so I respect the hot. I respect the corner. I respect baseball. But you play that infield. It's that ball's coming at you. And what made Brooks Robinson great was he was great defensively. He was defensive war. That means if you put somebody in there, you're not going to get the same production out of Brooks at third base defensively. Numbers wise, listen, he was he was an 18 time All Star. But let's just think, Chris. 16 gold gloves. 16. And it's like, I don't, have to, I don't have to mention his stats at the plate. That alone, that's the most among any third baseman. Yep. To me, Brooks Robinson's in the Hall of Fame. And yes, he had a, he had a lot of great seasons, don't get me wrong. But one of the criteria I had was, especially in the infield, you couldn't be slouching. You couldn't be slouching in the corner. I think you and I agree. There were a lot of guys that we had on our list. We were like, man, they could hit the ball, but boy, they can't field. Yeah. And, and, and to me, like the outfield, which we'll talk about, you know, shortly before we, you know, shortly, that was more that you could have more discretion. But for the most part, when you play that hot corner, you got to be ready. And if you're not ready, that ball hits you, <laughs> you'll, you'll be ready. And so that's why I had Brooks slightly over Mike Schmidt, and even Chipper was kind of on the back end as well. So speaking of back ends, let's go to the to the backstop and talk about the catching position. So who did you have as your as your catcher? So for catching, I've got this. This is where I started running into problems, where I was having a really hard time choosing between people. Uh, so for catcher, I have a, uh, a tie Mm -hmm. that they're both in New York. Of course. (laughs) Are we, are we shocked folks? I know. Right. I know the New York are choosing New York players. So, um, and, and this is what we talked about. You have the modern age and then you have back in the day, what shaped this sport into what it is today. So, 
who I ended up going with and choosing is, of course, Yogi Berra. I I think we can agree he's arguably one of the best uh, catchers to ever step foot on the field. 18-time All-Star, AL MVP, Hall of Fame, 10 pennants, you know? I mean, and the problem is with catchers, they they don't get the golden gloves or anything like that, you know? Catchers are normally the... uh, the hard ass, I want to say it. Look, look at look at catchers. Um, Jose uh, Jose Canseco, um, Jorge Posada. Um, uh, who's the one for the Red Sox? Um, uh, was Jason, it Veritek? Yeah, Jason Veritek. Yeah, Jason Ver. Look at that stumpy son of a bitch. You know, there I like the catcher is like the badass of the team because he's the one behind the plate. He's essentially calling the game for the pitcher. And he's got to be arguably, I think catchers have to be the most intelligent baseball player on the field because you have to study multiple teams, multiple lineups, and then figure out if you're starting. So we'll, you know, let, let's just keep it, you know, just for, because it's easy for me to name players off. So when you're Jorge Posada and you have Mike Mussina throwing at you, who's a right-hander that is more speed than movement, you've got to set up a a pitch routine against batters for speed instead of movement. And then game two of that series, when you're having Andy Pettit throw you and he can drop a 12-6 curve from the fucking International Space Station down on you, you know? (laughs) And then not only do you have to have that level of intelligence to, to read a batter's box and know every batter essentially in the league. You also have to be the toughest guy on the, on, on the field because no other bag is going to be guarded by someone. You can't stand, as you know, you played, I played, you know, um, I, I caught for a little bit. I, I dabbled in catching and pitching. Um, I, you know, every once in a while they throw me on second just because I had feet on me. But you know, if I'm on second or you're on first, we can't plug a bag. To, uh-huh. to stop somebody. Now, my little hobbit-sized ass could stand in front of the uh, in front of home plate and check somebody. You know, of course, before you know, we started turning into a very pussified nation. Um, <laughs> you know, you could stand and check someone at the box and prevent that run from going in. Um, so, I, when you when you're able to balance the 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 half monk half hitman routine, I think that's a, a very credible. Uh, thing to be able to do um and then a very close second um and and maybe it might even be someone you might drew was mike piazza for me a very very close second he he bounced between teams he was on the dodgers uh the marlins the mets and then of course he finished out in the padres and the a's after his career really started going down but look at his stats nl rookie of the year 12-time All-Star, 10-time Silver Slugger, all you know, All-Star MVP, Hall of Fame. You know, I mean, it's same thing. The only thing that that the only one of the main things I think that pushed me for Yogi is the fact that a he had championships, and then also just like all the adversity of back in the day play when you when you didn't have. Uh, all the technology do you know also the other thing is 
is he's one of the few like high end home run hitters that don't have a shit ton of strikeouts. If you look at guys that hit a lot of home runs, their strikeouts almost double because they're always swinging for the fence. He homered 358 times, and he only has 414 strikeouts. That's not a bad comparison for a home run hitter. So that's how I ended up uh, going for catcher. What about you? You know, that's not, you know, that's that's a very, very good. You know, I almost went toward Piazza, either Johnny Bench or Mike Piazza. You know, fun fact, my mom worked with Mike Piazza's mom before he became Mike Piazza. And and I was talking to and this is a quick story. I told my mom, oh, yeah, I know who Mike Piazza is. My mom's not the biggest sports fan in the world, like I am. She thinks I'm, I'm not going to get into that. But she thinks I have a problem. I tell her that I'm good. But I said, oh, yeah, Mike Piazza, oh, yeah, I, I've, seen, I've seen him. I'm like, oh, boy. And you know, with mothers, they go into a certain story. And I'm like, so you think of Mike Piazza. So that I almost went with Mike because, you know, if my mom likes him, then I should like him. But I didn't. I didn't fall into that trap. Chris, this was hard to pick. Like I said, this was the hardest position. I I initially was going to go with Johnny Bench, but I went with Yvonne Rodriguez. I went with Pudge. Really? I went with Pudge because Pudge, to me, when you look at position, there's every position is not made equal. If if that makes any sense, so you have to go back to the metrics. Whether well, you have a great catcher, Chris, you got to be able to throw guys out. You got to be able to throw guys out. You got to be able to, one of the things you mentioned, command a game. You're leading a game. You have to be like a general behind the plate. I look for those factors. So when it came to Pudge, he's a 14-time All-Star, seven-time Silver Slugger, 13 Gold Gloves. That was huge for me. But here's, he has the most games played at catcher. He's played 2,427 games at catcher. And as you playing catcher, that's a lot on your knees. That's a, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of games on your, and it's like nowadays, like if you look at like guys like Joe Maurer when he played for the Twins or Buster Posey, they try to make him play first to save their knees now. Yep. But, you know, Pudge played first a little bit, but he wanted to be behind the plate. But here's the one stat from Pudge that was over the top. He caught runners. Over 50% of the time who were trying to caught stealing, nine times, in nine seasons, over 50%. Half the time he was throwing dudes out. That's the layman terms of it. And that's a very good percentage. Yeah. Because A, it's timing. And B, you got to have the arm to get there. And more importantly, it's just the instinct. When you're a catcher, you have to be the... I'm not saying everybody in position is dumb. I don't want to send. I don't want no baseball jocks sending me no. Oh, he thinks baseball. No, no. You just think, you, you have you have to have more situational awareness when you're when you're a catcher because right. not only are you you've got someone chucking essentially a cork wrapped in leather at you at almost 100 miles an hour every fucking time, but you got to worry about the guy in first and the guy in second. You got to worry about this asshole in the batter's box. You know, there's just so much. And then you have to know what pitches to call to keep this guy from getting out of the batter's box onto a bag. Yeah, and, and that, that's the perfect phrase, situational awareness. You have to be the point guard of the baseball field. 
you have to know what's going to go on even if the if your teammates don't that's not saying your teammates don't know but you have to know hey that guy may steal all right guys the, the shift is that way you have to know everything and i yep. think pudge did it in such a way where you don't play as long as he did at catcher like i think i, I kind of compare him to the molinas whether it's benji molina or yadier molina it's just very smart being a catcher you have to understand situational awareness and more importantly he didn't he had a great bat too so there was that balance so he understood he could contribute offensively and defensively because for catchers you have a lot of catchers nowadays they're they they tend to go with better defensive catchers because the offense is supposed to be everywhere else so they're not expecting catchers to hit 50 home runs as as opposed to the right you know to other positions we'll mention so that's why i picked pudge in that position now speaking of pitching let's round out the battery and go with pitcher which i don't know for you it was it was somewhat easy for me but a little bit harder because it's hard to pick one yeah but, you know it's yeah so i i've got i i, I kind of had that that tie again like i said after from from catcher on down i started having some problems narrowing it down to one person um so for pitching the same thing you got to look at a lot of things you got to look at how did they stack up against the league how did they play what are their wins how many world series have they got cy young awards um you know so on and so forth um so i ended up Honestly, overall, and this was a tough one for me. Um, Randy Johnson. You know, if if you look at if you look at Randy Johnson, the big unit, he he, he was like wine. He just got, like the older he got, like the better he became. And he doesn't look super athletic. Like that's the thing. Like you look at him and you're like. Does this dude just like, you know, drive a tractor for a living, like on a farm? Or is this guy a professional baseball player? But it's just his long, linky left arm would just gun down people left and right, you know. Cy Young Award, World Series, you know, I mean, he he he's got everything. And I think also in the era of um of where when he pitched, I think he had it hardest because there was just so many people on steroids that neither that never got caught, or the guys that have owned up and fessed up to it, you know, or the guys or the ones you just damn well know that just you know got away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think pitching through that adversity where the technology was getting better with bats and balls and things like that, and then just players becoming better over time. And then just that 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 huge jump forward with capability because they're just banging these balls over the fence. When you're playing and you have to line up and you look at uh, Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez and Frank Thomas and uh, I mean you know the list can go on of these dudes that would assassinate a ball seven miles outside the stadium. So for me, just I think the adversity 
that he had to pitch through still keep a low ERA considering he pitched over 4,100 innings and his ERA was only 3.29. You know, I mean, it's just, just outright nuts, you know? And then again, we talked about the war percentage, you know, he's got a, a, a 110.6 war percentage, you know, for a left. I, I love Andy Pettit, you know, naturally just because he's won us a world series or two, but for lefties, and that's the thing is also him being left-handed is just because it's one thing if you're a right-handed pitcher, the majority of MLB is a right-handed batting thing. You you get lefties, you get guys like me that that bat left, but there's not a lot of us. We're a small sanct kingdom of weirdos. Now, when you're right-handed throwing to a righty, you're you're jamming their box up. As a left-hander throwing to a righty, you have that broad stroke like when a right-handed pitcher throws to me he's he's got to come to me i can mm-hmm. i can take it or i can go out and reach it is a right-handed batter against a right-handed pitcher you're pretty much choking the inside of the you're low and inside high and inside those are the main places more than likely a ball is going to go um and with, just with randy johnson he had that adversity and then being left-handed on top of that got on him the other one i had just as, as a very honorable mention it i almost gave it to but honestly, him being right-handed really decided for me was uh, Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox, I think, was a very underrated pitcher that just wasn't talked about. Um, he played on a great team in a great era. And like I said, it's the same thing with um, with with Johnson. Is that In the era of steroids, Maddox was in there, and he made batters just look stupid. You know, and, uh, you know, he, he was a postseason success just like Johnson. But I think Johnson, like I said, him being lefty, I think, uh, was the teetering point for me. You know, you know, Chris, I argue that Randy Johnson is probably the greatest left-handed pitcher of all time. I don't think him and Warren spawn, in my opinion. But... You know, it's like where you're reading my mind, Chris, because I went with Greg Maddox. Here's the thing with Greg Maddox. 18-time gold glove. We don't think as pitchers as defensive, but once again, Chris, you and I both played baseball. I, I got caught playing pitcher a couple of games, and a lot of games I was scared the ball was going to come at me. That's not a that's because of the velocity of that ball coming at you. People. If you don't have that glove up, then you're going to be down, essentially. So I picked him. I, like I say, 18-time gold glover, eight-time all-star, four Cy Youngs. I don't know, Chris. I don't know how much you like. I, I think you and I both appreciate stats, I think. Yeah. Here's a great Greg Maddox stat. Oh, by the way, his career ERA is 3.27, and he – so that's why I say him and Randy Johnson, you know, there's no, you could, you, you, you couldn't go wrong. Possibly you could possibly, you couldn't go wrong. Arguably, but maybe, maybe, maybe a Walter Johnson, but that's an era that people didn't watch. So, but modern era, those two guys, here's a great Greg Maddox stat here. Greg Maddox faced 20,421 hitters in his career. Jesus. Now, Chris, 
How many do you think saw a 3-0 count against him? I'll, I'll give you a margin of error of, of 100. All right, so how many pitch? So 20,000 at-bats he, he saw? Yeah, he, he faced 20,421 hitters. So how many saw a 3-0 count, do you think? 400. 310. Jesus Christ. That was a good guess on my part. Because I'm thinking how many people he was probably instructed to walk. Right, and see, and then that's a, it's funny you mentioned that. Out of those 310, 177 of those were intentional walks. Jesus. <laughs> I tell people, I'm not going to, you know, for the sake of time, I'll tell people this. Google, Google the number of shutouts this man has had pitching under 100 pitches. He was, he was like the guy. He was the nine-to-fiver. Yeah. He had he had some he had to go to the matinee, so he was like, "Listen, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make the hitter get out," and like you say, especially listen, he would challenge, listen against left-handers. Listen, he knew with left-handers you get the ball on the ground, right-handers you can jam. He knew that, so Greg Maddox was like he had to get home, apparently watch Matlock or something, because. <laughs> He was he was in and out, and that's why he was. I argue, we undervalued him out of Smoltz and Gladwin, and I like Gladwin. I really do. He's left-handed. I like Tom Gladwin. I really do. But go look at Greg Maddox. I could argue he was probably the anchor of that of that rotation a lot. So so you couldn't. So once again, Greg Maddox is there. So now we go to the outfield. So for the sake of let's start. Let's go to right field and give me your, your greatest right fielder. So naturally, you got is of course probably the most legendary baseball player of of all time. Um Babe Ruth. Naturally. That's you know, that that's it's one of those ones that you kind of saw coming, but also you know, another one. And I and you know, not, and it was not only just him playing right field. It was just everything that that man did. He he could hit. He could uh, just everything. <laughs> you know, um, he could hit. He could he could run bases. He could pitch. I mean, the dude. I mean, you you, you look at some of the stats he has, and then he also has seven World Series on him. You know, so I mean, that's a huge factor. Um. You know, he hit 714 home runs and then threw uh, a, a 2.28 ERA uh, with a record of 94 wins and 46 losses. How? <laughs> How? Uh, you know, the other one that, that was a very – the only thing that – and then on top of that, of course, we're, we're talking about right field. So, that, you know, it's just crazy that we can even bring up pitching on that. And that's what teetered him over Hank Aaron for me. Hank Aaron, of course, was just an outright stud, you know, 14-time All-Star, uh, NL MVP, 3A NL Gold Gloves, uh, Hall of Fame entry. Um, you know, I mean, the dude was just an all-around player. He And he broke, he was the first one to break Babe Ruth's record, you know, for uh, for all-time home runs. Um, but just with the, the, the all-around... 
um, maneuverability that Babe Ruth had of just pitching and hitting and blah, 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 blah. I think that's what made him just the best right fielder because he was just so universal. Well, you know, I, I think I, I went the other way. I did go with Hank Aaron because if those who listen to my Mount Rushmore podcast, I went to a lot of Hank Aaron's stat when I did my Mount Rushmore baseball. When, when I look at Hank Aaron, second in home runs, he's the all-time leader in career RBIs. He has almost 3,000 career RBIs. He was in the top 10 in slugging percentage 19 seasons. So his career, his bat never cooled. And another thing about Hank Aaron that I think is very important is the fact that, listen, I could argue maybe not the best, because when you compare him and Babe defensively, you could really go either way. And there's no disrespect to none of them. I don't think there's no disrespect. But because they, they were just better hitters. And sometimes you're just great at hitting whatever. But what kind of put me over to, to Hank Aaron was given the lot of great pitchers in that era. When you're facing a Bob Gibson and a Juan Marichal. And you're, you know, you're facing straight heat. You're facing filthiness. And to me, that was the factor. No disrespect but to who Babe Ruth faced. But to be fair, he could be facing the milkman and, and maybe the janitor, you know, in terms of how the, the body type. While fast forward, Hank Aaron was facing Hall of Famer, like I say, Bob Gibson, Juan Marichal. He was facing dudes every single day. That yeah, was- that's, that's, something that, yeah, that's something I took into consideration. Um, like I said, the the only thing that really pushed Ruth more towards the front of the line is just that adversity of all the weird shit that he could do. But then also just the notoriety that he brought to the game. You know, yeah. And once again, you know, I I get that. Like I say, there there's no with the I think with our list, we're not really super. It may not be great podcasting that we're not disagreeing and fighting it. It's just that. When you study and you understand, we come up with the same conclusions, but we just go different routes, and w- which is fine. Especially here, you know, there's there are people who are going to go with Babe Ruth because of the aura of Babe Ruth, calling his shot, you know, play, you know, being an absolute great hitter. So there, there's no wrong answers there. So now we're going to shift over, and we're going to head to center field, and who do you have? Center field was honestly the hardest position out of all of them for me. Every single position I had a, like a, like a, 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 I had like a, a, I had an, like an easier time center field. I literally have three guys that I'm stuck in the number one position. (laughs) Two of them. Or pinstripes. <laughs> um, so for center field, I have it literally as a three-way tie between uh, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, and Ken Griffey Jr. Hmm. And again, you look at Mick. So we'll start with Mantle and then work our way around. So Mantle 
is is kind of he, he he if I had to say okay one I think it's gonna be him, um, and then Griffey and then and then Dimaggio. Um, so you look at uh, you look at uh, Mantle. He played on the Yanks from fifty one to sixty eight. Twenty time All Star, triple crown, three time MVP, Gold Glove, Hall of Fame, seven World Series titles, great numbers, you know, all the way around. Uh, hits, ribbies, uh, ops, batting average. I mean, just everything that that he got. Um, I think he just due to the talent in the in baseball coming up uh, at that time. I think that he. Uh, uh, my he he could have won more AL MVPs, but of course, you know there was just a lot of other things going on. Uh, and I think also with his knees just going bad, it prevented him from uh, really getting out there on on the grass and running around in center field because that's a position that you really got to uh to 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 haul ass on. Um, you know, and then with uh with Ken Griffey Jr. I mean. Arguably, I think he has the most iconic swing of of baseball. Like it, like when you think of basketball and you think of dunking, subconsciously you think of the Jordan emblem. I think baseball. I legitimately think of Ken Griffey's just staring up into the stratosphere, watching a ball go into orbit. Um, again, but you know that's just me. You know he's a a a, a Mariner legend. Uh, then swapped over to the Reds, 10-time All-Star, uh, All-Star MVP, NL All-Star All-VP, 10 AL Gold Gloves, 7 AL Silver Sluggers. You know, I mean, it can just go on and on and on and on. And and Griffey was just such a young, intuitive player that he could catch, he could throw, he could run, and the dude could slap a ball into, uh, you know, up into the stratosphere. And I think Griffey was probably the modern all-time greatest center fielder until the day that Mike Trout signed an MLB contract. And I wanted to put Mike Trout on here, but I'm I was trying to stick to players that they have already retired. And Mike Trout still has so much more that he could do. He can either go really good or really bad. I'm gonna bet on the really good. Um and then with uh with DiMaggio, um you know, 13-time All-Star, three-time MVP, nine World Series. Um, you know, it, it, his career got short, uh, cut short, because, of course, because of World War II. Um, so he re- he retired at 36 years old, of course, and he was he was beat pretty hard. Um, he's on a 56-game hitting streak. You know, uh, he hit during that time. He he only struck out 13 times. And hit 30 home runs in those 56 games. That's that's a hell of a time, uh, you know, to have. And the also with DiMaggio, again, he he had that field leadership. Um, and then, you know, one of the coolest things with DiMaggio is that his words are forever etched into Yankee Stadium. So when you exit the the home locker room going out onto the field there's literally his quote that says i want to thank the good lord for making me a yankee and it's customary that as the players walk out every player touches that and this is a plaque that came from the old yankee stadium into the new yankee stadium so uh, again that command of respect from 
the elders that we could call them elder gods to the, to, to the young bucks. Um, you know, all three of them are great. Like I said, if I had to choose one, I'm kind of leaning towards, you know, Mickey, but it's such a hard choice between all of them. And, you know, that's not a bad trio to have because, because honestly, I, I was considering Griffey for this position, but I felt him getting hurt toward the back end of his career and you have to play the game of what if. And so I went with the guy who's personally, to me, the greatest ball player to ever play. That's Willie Mays. Okay. Okay. Because, because in my opinion, I think Willie Mays checked the boxes. He was a great hitter, great fielder. He can run. And 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 I'm not trying to knock Mickey Mantle or listen, Mickey Mantle, listen folks, that was a great hitter. So was Jamaggio. Ken Griffey Jr. to me had potential to be just as good, if not to be good as uh, Willie Mays. Because you the elements were there, but simply with Willie Mays, he's he fell to fifth in career home runs, six hundred and sixty home runs. 12 gold gloves, that's tied for first among outfielders, was Roberto Clemente. And he's second in war and wins above replacement at 156.2. That's how valuable to me, and, and the stats prove, Willie Mays was. Willie Mays was the say hey kid for the reason. If, if you can block out those last years in, when he's with the Mets, if you can block those years out and focus on the years he was with the Giants, it's it's probably, like I say, the best overall career he ever had. And, it, and I think, more importantly, it was the way he played the game. Because at the end of the day, when you walk down the street, they look at Willie Mays and go, man, that's one of the best ball players I've ever seen. And, and a couple of fun facts is that, you know, for sports nerds like you and I, for the shot, for the shot heard around the world, that was when the Giants won the pennant, Willie Mays was on deck. He was on deck when Bobby Thompson hit that home run. So imagine course of history if Bobby Thompson would have got out. Yeah. Willie Mays could have just said, you know what, I'll end the game. We'll win the pennant. But to me, Willie Mays checked a lot of boxes, in my opinion. So, but you can't you can't go wrong with the three guys you had. You you really can't. Because what I think what all four of them did, Chris, I don't know if you'll agree, is, is that they played the game the absolute right way. They they played it the right way and they played it differently, but they they did nothing to to jeopardize the game in the context of they weren't flashy. They weren't trying to go out there and they were very humble players that just went out, gave a hundred percent and and showed humility off the field. Yeah, and, and and they were high character people. Which, you know, is maybe not a factor, but it's a lot of it, today's baseball you know, a Mike Trout is probably the closest thing we'll get to any of any of those center fielders we mentioned earlier. Absolutely. And to wrap up our our list, we head we head left to to left field, and who do you have? So for left field, I have pr- arguably one of the most liked but hated players of all time, and that is Pete Rose. For yeah, 
for for the all-time left fielder. So with old Petey, he got bad. So he's got three World Series, Rookie of the Year, 17-time All-Star, MVP, World Series MVP, two gold gloves, one silver slugger. If if this isn't the the definition of a hustler, I don't know what is. I mean, the guy just full speed from pitch one to close, that guy gave you a, a full nine innings. He didn't slack off. He didn't bitch. He didn't, you know, do his thing. Um, he, you know, was just, just an outright stud, you know. Um, all-time leader in hits. I mean, how, how, do you, how do you compare with that? And the guy just, I mean... He just gave it his all. I mean, you know, he played for the the, the Reds, the Phillies, and then the uh, the Expos for a year. Um, it was a hundred percent. He was his full bore. Um, you know, but I think with the gambling, I think that has kind of given him a black eye. Not that he ever gambled on his own team or through a game. The dude just liked throwing money down, and unfortunately, it's it's a bad habit that you can get into that can be very dangerous for you. But I just think overall you start looking at all the other left fielders and he just he just left it on the field every game. So that's that, that's how I ended up coming up with Pete Rose. And yeah, that that's not the worst pick. Well, to me the one knock I have on Pete Rose is is that listen, he was Charlie Hustle for a reason. But one of the things about if we really take the scope of Pete Rose's career in the context of he wasn't the best fielder. He, he to me, he honestly, and this may offend a lot of people, but he he sometimes bordered on like a utility player, which is fine. I'm not knocking utility players. But when we're talking about Pete Rose, I can't picture him at one position. That's what made it hard to put him on this list. Because many games he played, I think many games he played first base. He was the kind of like, he was a very, very talented utility player. And I don't want to get letters saying, oh, you think Pete Rose sucks? No. Pete Rose is the greatest hitter in the history of baseball. And he's the only person who is the all-time leader in the stat and not in, in, not in their sports hall of fame. So Wayne Gretzky had the most goals. Guess what? He's in their hall of fame. Kareem has the most points. He's in the Hall of Fame, the NBA Hall of Fame. Pirro's yeah. both hits. Here's the thing. And so I I respect Pete Rose. I think he he brought energy and level to that game, to the game of baseball. But left field for me, and this might upset you a little, because I went I went up in your neck of the woods, like Al Roker would say. I went to Boston. Oh, god damn it. You know, they, they listen. They gave me. They gave me a great burger. So the point is, is that food was like, oh well, I'll go there. And so I went with Ted Williams. Yeah, yeah. That, that, arguably, that's that, that's a very fair, fair uh, guess. Not guess, but choice. I, I went with Teddy Ballgame because if you talk to a lot of people, it's the greatest hitter they've ever seen. He hit 1941 season. He hit 400. Many have came close. Few, few have came close. None have succeeded. And I think it's that one stat that I feel may not be broken because the game is more of a power game. It's not about substance. 
you know, it's about style, but that's yep. just one so that's just one man's opinion on it. So here's the thing with here's the thing with Ted Williams. He he's he's first in the career on base percentage. So he hit you know, he you know, a four eighty two. As I mentioned, he hit four hundred in nineteen forty one. Here's the thing, Chris. He missed five seasons. And then you mentioned earlier because of two wars. He didn't play baseball because he was fighting for this country. Yeah. So can we imagine, just like when we do with Joe DiMaggio, could we imagine, we could only fathom, if these guys, putting up the numbers they did, played five, you know, played more seasons. And they're all, and they're both Hall of Famers. So imagine how much more they could have cemented that. But they were fighting for this country. And that, to me, to me said, oh, I got to put him on this list. Because he already had the stats, and he missed five years. You know, the only person that, you know, I've known to do it, Michael Jordan did it. Michael Jordan missed the, you know, missed the CEO. He found that baseball was always cracked up to be. And he came back, and, like, he never left. Yeah. That was that. I... The, that you know, honestly, hindsight now, going going through my notes and then listening to you, I I think I would have almost backpedaled uh, Pete Rose. But see, I I like that the fact that he could be a utility player. You can just plug and play him anywhere. But then Ted Williams again, arguably being the best hitter of all time. I think the fact that he can just whack a home run in his very last at bat. I mean, that 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 speaks for itself. And. And to me, before we wrap up, the, th- the thing is, Chris, what I like about Ted Williams is, is that I almost remember the All-Star game that was in Boston. I can't remember. I think it was 99. I'm not 98, 99. It was in Fenway Park. And they bring out Teddy Ball game out on the cart. Chris, I, were, I was 19 years old, and I can remember the flashing bulbs. And people it's like it's like time had stopped. Yeah. It's how beloved that man still is in Boston. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, and, it's and it's 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 amazing. And when you think of that image, it's just like whenever Derek Jeter goes back to Yankee Stadium, it's going to be that type of vibe of what they meant to that organization. They could have went anywhere. And especially playing, and listen, and you could argue that for Ted Williams, look, there were some, listen, he may not have the home runs, but he hit for substance. Yeah. And to me, sometimes in life, style, and sometimes you got to go with substance, that core. That was Ted Williams. He he understood, the when I think of Ted Williams, I think of hitting in the same capacity when I think of pitching, and I think of a Maddox or Randy Johnson. It's just that it comes into your head like methodical, yep. understanding the core. Well, yeah, I mean, for, for batting uh, plus 400, the dude had 521 home runs. Yeah. That is huge. Yeah. And that, and, I mean, that speaks volume right there. Yeah. And, and imagine, and like I said, and people don't even talk. That's why I say people don't even talk about like his home runs is not as much because they could have been more. Because he missed, imagine, he lost two seasons. He lost, he lost, he lost five good, he five, lost seasons. five, yeah, five seasons. Yeah. And if he, and even Chris, if he was averaging even twenty home runs, that's a hundred more home runs. Yeah. 
that we missed out on. And he could have easily been in the top 10 of all time in home runs. Easily. But but I hope you guys enjoyed that baseball thing. I'll post the lineup on the page, and you can vote or like. You can vote and like which, which lineup you like better. Because going backtracking with the draft, more people kind of liked it. It was by one. I'm not salty about it. I'm not Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, we'll we'll leave it there. But before we wrap up, we can just just ever so briefly touch on the last dance. Just briefly, and if you haven't been watching it, then I don't know what you're doing with your life. But maybe you're crocheting, which is which is fun. So I've heard. But but I think. I don't know, but I think next week we can talk about it a little bit. I think next week we can cover a whole lot more. Yeah, next week's going to be a little bit more of an intuitive uh, episode. So th- this week's was was good. Um, bouncing, having Barkley in there, talking about you know him losing to uh, to the Bulls in the fashion they did, um, and then of course talking about the Dream Team. That was just absolutely awesome you know kind of just being able to see the behind the scenes stuff now mm-hmm. you know and then just knowing that every single one of these guys are just outright legends and monsters it's just it's it's so cool you know it just to, to relive history like that also having kobe being interviewed that was kind of chilling you know all things considering um and then of course isaiah thomas being still salty <laughs> This many years later, about the uh, about the dream team, even though Stockton on paper was a better, you know, guard, but and then blaming it on Jordan, and even as much as Jordan doesn't like him, he kept it professional. I mean, he flat out said he's like, I don't fucking like the guy, but you know, I, I, that wouldn't. It's not like this is my. It was not Jordan's team. It was the USA team. Right. Exactly, Chris. And we talked about that briefly in the in in our pre meeting. Just like Isaiah Thomas has to understand, just like you work in a you work in a company, so sometimes Chris, if you make a decision, sometimes it's based on what other it's based on somebody above you to make that that made that yeah. decision for you. It's not always you that makes the decision. Like for the most part, there's a factor, but at the end of the day, Chris, you're not giving the rubber stamp, yay or nay. Yeah, it's somebody I'm not CEO. up. So, it, it's somebody above you with a, with a slightly higher pay grade and a slightly higher title. That's what happened here. Basically, Rod Thorne said it in an interview on the last, listen, we picked out 10 names. Isaiah's name wasn't on there. Michael Jordan had nothing to do with that. It was not the Bulls playing in Barcelona. It was the it was Team USA. Yeah. It, it has to it has to stop. And as much as I've seen people who I think for voting on the, on the matter, listen, I need those who, who, who say Isaiah should have been on the dream. I need proof because I will provide proof. I'm all about evidence. It's the, it's the CJ, it's the CJ in me to see the criminal justice degree in me to give you proof because proof, because listen, you just can't, Hey, you know what? Denzel said it best. Jake, it's not about what you know. What can you prove? Where's your evidence, Jake? Where's your evidence? Right. That's all what it's about. And it's like, it's not what you know. It's what you can prove. Just just like in many capacities, 
look, in the same way that, you know, MJ had to be proven by Nike, because listen, he wanted to go to Adidas. His parents made him get on that plane and go see that, Nike. That yeah, that was another thing. Before we wrap up, I wanted to touch on it. the the era of the shoe game is courtesy of Michael Jordan. Without question, they 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 predicted what that they would sell. It was it was two three, or three million. Three million. You know, and then they sold like a hundred and something. A hundred and twenty six million. Thank you. You know, you're the you're a fucking statistician, man. That's you know, I'm just I'm the loudmouth that just starts shit, and you're the one that just got all the facts for me, man. Um, you know, I I remember as a kid, man. Like I, you know, naturally I grew up watching the Knicks, and then you know shifting towards the Magic. But I think everybody watched the Bulls at that point. I think every kid. It was a Bulls fan. To this day, I actually have a cardboard cutout that my grandmother got me at uh, Orlando Magic and Chicago Bulls game in Orlando uh, back way back when. And to this day, this goddamn cardboard cutout sits in my office and has been in every house and apartment that I lived in. And you know, you can't you can't argue greatness. And then I I remember as a kid, man, New Jordans that was that was the shit. You go to school every year, uh, you had the new Jays, man. No questions asked. And the thing is, Chris, is that how he changed it? Because at that point, the league was about Converse. Yeah. And Nike was a track shoe. It, essentially, it was about his agent, David Falk, who he basically said that his company, ProServe, had did a lot of tennis players like Arthur Ashe, Jimmy Connors. Yeah. And basically what he said was he wanted to take a team sport player and treat him like a golfer or a tennis player. People didn't understand what he was saying, but I understood. He wanted to treat him like an individual because all the other sports he mentioned, Chris, were individual sports. He wanted to take MJ and make him a brand. And he saw the vision, and that's why the Jordan brand is worth well over a billion dollars today. Yeah. Because he was a brand. He's a brand, whether it's the shoes, whether it's, you know, those Energizer batteries, the ballpark Franks, the Hanes, whatever, he's a, it's a brand. brand. He's it's a, a brand. Yeah, Gatorade. Gatorade. I want to be like Mike. Yeah, that was, and selling people on that, like, hey, you drink Gatorade, you could be like Mike. It was about the image, and a lot of times, MJ got pissed off because people tried to discredit his image with, you know, he's a gambler. Oh, so what? So what? Everybody has vices. Some people's vices are worse than others. Yeah. But does that does that take away from them from being if it doesn't, I'll say this before we wrap up. If your vices does not distract you from your craft, I don't have a problem with it. Because here's the thing, if it starts to leak in, a lot of times we see people with drug problems, you gotta get them help. Because it's starting to, to affect their work. Yeah. No, you know what? I mean, I, I I got a buddy, and I won't name him, just be out of out of respect, and and I don't want him getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. I got a close friend of mine. He's got a very heavy medical degree that involves working with nuclear medicine. Mm-hmm. And I know neither one of us are doctors, but when you're shooting somebody up with radioactive isotopes, it's probably not the safest thing you could be doing to somebody and if you you fuck up you you kill them i mean there's there's no question about it and you know what like i always used to bust my buddy's balls because he would just smoke himself stupid man he would he would just 
he would smoke and I mean he went every day to school hiring a fucking kite. He graduated with honors at the top of his class, worked at a VA hospital for a while. And the dude just gets high every day and work. Some people just can function like that. Look at you know Dennis Rodman. That dude drank every day and still showed up and ran faster than everybody else on the court. You know, uh, with Jordan, you know, he, he, so he, you know, he, he took a break and went, went down to AC from uh, Manhattan to AC three hours at the most. So he went down, blew some money that he had more than enough of, came back the next day and played 10 times harder. Sometimes you just need to get, it was like, look at Rodman. When we talked about Rodman, taking his little 96 libo uh, to Vegas with, uh, with Carmen Electra. He just needed to get it out of his system. He came back and, and tore the court up, told Jordan, I'm sorry. They didn't even tell him I'm sorry. He just sat in his room and smoked a cigar with him. That was his way of saying sorry. And then from that point on, Rodman just was never an issue to Jordan. You know, but yeah, if you haven't watched those episodes, we won't spoil it for you. Check it out. Next week's going to be even cooler. Fun fact, one of the guys that they're interviewing next week, I actually have an employee who knows him on a personal basis and plays pickup basketball with him when he comes home to Spokane. So I'll give you a hint. If you know where Gonzaga is and you know where Spokane is, I'll give you a hint. He was a white point guard. We'll uh, we'll leave it from there. Yeah. It can literally be anybody, folks. <laughs> anybody. If that's not a Scooby-Doo hint for you, then I can't help you. But, but speaking of, of great hints, well, the hint is that we're, we're out of time for this week's episode. To, to stay connected with us, you know, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash sports the world. And also there, click and join our group where you'll have discussions and there'll be a poll question after this episode as well. And also, don't forget to go to our website as well. So until you hear us again, I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. Be real. Be you. And be blessed from us here at Sports and the World. See ya! Thank you, sports fans and fans of the world, for listening to this week's episode of Sports and the World. Head over to our Facebook podcast group by going to facebook.com slash sports the world and click the visit group button in the upper right-hand corner of the page to enter this week's poll question, have you owned or currently own a pair of Air Jordans? Once again, have you owned or currently own a pair of Air Jordans? And while you're there, if you haven't joined the group, click as well to join the group for daily poll questions every week. And also, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, head over to anchor.fm slash sports the world and listen to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time, for Chris Gooden, I'm Darius Brown. Be real, be you, be blessed. From all of us here at Sports and the World.